I was looking at about six months to live. So three months after being given six months, um, to be told that it's gone by 90% is, I don't, I'm not sure I've caught up. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. How does one live with a diagnosis of incurable metastatic cancer? How does one move forward with life goals and plans when the likelihood of a future has been deemed uncertain and tenuous? Today I'm speaking with Jenny Pagliaro, singer and songwriter from the band Roses and Cigarettes, who, after initial treatment for stage 2 breast cancer in 2015, was diagnosed one year later with metastatic breast cancer. Our conversation takes place one week after Jenny had a scan that revealed her cancer to have receded by 90% compared to her previous scan. Jenny talks about living on an emotional roller coaster during the past two years, from initial diagnosis and completion of treatment to a diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer and receiving an estimate of six months to live to this moment of hope for more time. She also talks about complicated interactions with family and friends who want to help her and the competing emotions behind wanting to maintain independence while knowing that she is entirely reliant on the support of others. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Thank you, Jenny, for coming in to talk with me today. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Before we get into anything else, I'd like to begin with the amazing news that you received last week. Oh, God, the relief. The relief news. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I had a PET scan recently, which um, for those in the cancer community, we know we get those a lot. Um, and so I had one I was very, very nervous about. And the good news is what was spread to lots of bones and to my liver and it, huge masses in my lungs have, in the words of my doctor, my tumors in all actuality and mass and size have shrunk by 90%, 90%. Wow. That is 10% away from being 100%. That, that was more than I could have asked for. That is, that is. What did you do when you got that information? I feel like I'm still in a bit of shock. Yeah. <laughs> be honest. I didn't feel well. It was a couple days after chemo and it was on sort of the day in chemo where I really decline and I'm very tired and I was sort of just laying there and my best friend was over, my cousin was there, um and my mom and my best friend was rubbing my feet and um just generally taking care of me being an angel and I got an email and I was like, oh my God, it's my PET scan results. And I just like read the email and my nurse practitioner had written in all capitals, like regression, like, oh my God. And I read, it wasn't, I just read the report. So it's a lot of wow. medical stuff that you're trying to, cause you're like, ah, yeah. you know, like, what does this all even mean? I imagine it yeah, was just hard kinda... to even take in because that was yeah. not what you could even hope for, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was what you it was sort of the scan that I dreamed about, and that I um, was like, by this time, this is going to happen. It almost feels like you put that big dream out there, 
um, as that big end goal, right? Like you, you aim, you aim for the moon. Yeah. But you end up in the stars. Yeah. That's kind of a, a saying. If you shoot for the moon, you you still end up in the stars, even if you don't hit the moon. So right. I thought if I visualize no evidence of disease, or if I visualize massive amounts of reduction, maybe I'll get even a little bit. Maybe my visualization will give me a little bit. Yeah. I was going to be happy if it wasn't in my liver. Yeah. And so for it to not be in my spine, for it to not be in my hip, for it to not be in my clavicle, um, and for the two spots that you even still see in my bones to possibly not even be disease anymore, to be scar tissue and healing. Yeah. I, yeah. I, there aren't a lot of words. I Like I said, I don't think I've really... I feel like at some point I'm just going to be sitting at the beach alone or something and just cry because it's going to just all come out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I imagine that it would be hard to really trust it. Yes, because it was so shocking compared to the last scan I got, um, where on the last scan I got, I had very, very high hopes. Um, I, I only had a tiny bit of metastatic breast cancer in my lungs. It was it was a small sprinkling. I thought um, with the medicine that they were giving me over a four-month period before my scan that it'd be gone. Right. Because it was just a little bit. And it was it was so, so, so much more um, that I was looking at about six months to live. So right. three months after being given six months, um, to be told that it's gone by 90% is, I don't, I'm not sure I've caught up. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. So now let's go back. Um, yes. And uh, just tell me, a little bit about yourself and your cancer journey thus far and the treatments that you've undergone. All right. How do I make this quick? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, okay. Long and tortured route. Yeah, exactly. So um, the long and short of who I am, um, <laughs> uh, my name is Jenny, <laughs> and um, originally from the East Coast, uh, have lived in Los Angeles since I was 20. I worked at a bar um, in Santa Monica for 10 years while also becoming a yoga instructor and I'm a singer songwriter. And so I was really in the midst of, I was 31. I had finally released an album of original music with my bandmate. And when I found the lump in my breast and I had a friend who worked at the same bar with me who had stage three breast cancer in her late thirties. So Mm. the minute I found that, I definitely don't take that lightly. Right. Um, and I, I hope other women don't either. Yeah. You got to go in. Everybody told me I was crazy. Everybody thought, I mean, I kind of thought I was crazy. I thought I was being an alarmist. I thought I was being a drama queen. I thought I was being all those things, right. a hypochondriac. But I wasn't. I had stage two breast cancer, um, went through two lumpectomies, and then did eight rounds of chemotherapy, during which I got a blood clot in my port pick line, which is very common. And during that CT scan, they spotted something on my lung. I mentioned it to my doctors. Um, they brushed me off and told me it was probably just an infection or something. Mm-hmm. And then I went through 35 rounds of radiation. Missed my first scan because of a mistake the doctors made. So then I had to wait a while for another one because I had to get an insurance approval. The first PET scan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was delayed again by a couple months. 
so there was there was I should have had one right away and there was about a six month delay hmm. also because I was getting radiation and when you're in the midst of medical craziness as you well know right. <laughs> you forget things sure. it's a lot to stay on top of so during the summer I got my PET scan and last summer um, and that spot on my lung was still there and then they did a VATS surgery and removed it and it ended up being metastatic breast cancer from there I went back to a hormone therapy regimen which included um, shots of loop monthly shots of lupron um, <clears throat> which put your ovaries to sleep and put you into menopause so 30 30 year olds 30 something woman in menopause lots of bad hot flashes um, and then they put you on a chemotherapy pill and another hormone blocker letrozole and ibrance didn't feel good in my body I didn't feel good it really made the hormone therapy really made me crazy and it didn't feel right um, during this period of time I, I was getting sicker and I just didn't really I, I was putting it on other things I was under a lot of stress my dog was very sick my dog was dying um, I had a roommate who was gonna move out so when I went for that January PET scan I, I, I didn't feel good yeah yeah I, I didn't feel good, but I was keeping that hope alive that, oh, I'm just tired because of treatments or the chemotherapy pills. At that point, it had gone from being a tiny bit in my lungs to being in my brain, a spot in my clavicle, my left shoulder head, my right femur head, my right hip, my liver, my spine, spinal cord. And there was a mass on my pituitary gland as well. The pituitary gland they cleared as just an adenoma, um, but that explains a lot of side effects. And so what was that? Uh, did you have surgery to clear so, that? No, I did a second MRI. Mm -hmm. um, and with the adenoma, it just stays there. It's a benign tumor. But uh, we have discussed uh, how cold I am all the time now. Um, and the adenoma can tell your body it messes with your thyroid so it can mock um Hashimoto's disease mm -hmm. um it can mock Cushing's disease um so I, I'm very thirsty a lot of the time mm -hmm. um frequent urination and then freezing mm -hmm. very hard for me to gain weight where beforehand it was very hard for me to lose weight but mm -hmm. so that that is why it mocks the Hashimoto's disease um, but they weren't sure if it was metastatic cancer or not right but that would explain sort of some of the hormone problems as well hmm. yeah at that point I I, I, I kind of became a crazy person I fired my oncologist I interviewed more oncologists I they wanted to give me more of the same hormone therapy even more they wanted to add a drug um, called Facidex on top of it put me back on more I had stopped the Lupron because it was making me crazy right. they wanted to give me Lupron and then add another drug to it um, I mean it was causing insomnia hot flashes night sweats I mean I just wasn't sleeping right it was manic like manic energy and then once I stopped all that, all of that manic energy, all that insomnia, all of it just stopped. Hmm. How have you dealt with this roller coaster that you've been on? I mean, we talked a little bit about your current state and um, the really amazing good news that you've 
received and how you're dealing with that or or <laughs> trying to deal with it yeah trying um but <coughs> how have you dealt emotionally with the the journey that you've been on not always well yeah not always well i'll just throw that out there first for better or for worse, I, I generally like to start with my downfalls first. I'm very hyper. I'm hyper aware of my downfalls. We probably all are. Um, so so not well. Sometimes um, there's been fights with family members, fights with people who are just trying to love me, and people who also feel incredibly helpless and are in a lot of fear. Yeah, I'm in so much fear that that sort of fear and the disease. Um, can make you a little narcissistic at times, but I think you almost have to be to fight this cancer and to keep that Hmm. fight alive is say like, okay, I can't be concerned with whether my sister or my friend or my mom is like needs to know about what's happening at my appointment. Like it's not about them right now. It's, It's my health. I have to figure it out. It's my body. It's my life. Right. And that that's not always easy when you also want, you want to be receptive of people's love. Yeah. I remember you talking to me about that when you first had your the surgery on your lung and learned that uh, the cancer that you thought you no longer had that had been cured was uh, actually back and, and uh, much more severe than it was before. And you talked about people wanting to kind of envelop you and you just felt like, ah, oh, get away from me. Yeah, a little bit. And it's, it's a feeling that has continued and that is it, it's a management thing because the reality is I do need help yeah um, I can't do this all on my own nobody could and I want to be open and receptive to the people that love me and want to help but then there's a bit of victimization when you're battling stage four cancer it's a it's it's a long haul it's not a short-term problem. It's not a short-term thing. This is an incurable disease. People want to envelop you when it happens, but then as time goes, they fade away. But then when the emergencies happen, they come back and they want right. to do it again. And it's, it's natural. I would be doing it if it, was, if it wasn't me and it was my sister, yeah. or if it wasn't me and it was my friend or my best friend, I'd do the same exact thing. When you feel helpless, you want to get into the situation and control it. That part has been hard. And then it's hard to it's hard to accept the fact that you need help and that you cannot be that fiercely independent person you were before. Hmm. Um, so those have been the, the the downfalls, I think, of my of of my emotional state is just accepting. Um, I think the good parts, if I can look at myself and say, okay, what do I think I've done well? I emotionally, I, I had a real focus on healing and getting rid of anything that wasn't about that. Mm. So if it wasn't about that, I got rid of it, which just sort of helped my emotional state. And I just kind of, I have been trying to drop the guilt with it too. Like, I know you want to help me, but like, I, I can't with you right now. Right. So setting up those boundaries and, and, and doing that work. I do, I work a lot doing Reiki um, I see the social worker at the hospital to talk to her hmm. because it's a lot. It's a lot to manage. Yeah, and and having outlets um, where you can go in 
and talk with someone or someone can understand or I can get that Reiki and do a massage with that and allow that some of that fear and stress to leave my body right. through that healing work, that's been my saving grace. Because yeah. that, that fear and stress is so intense that everything, every little de- every little trigger that you have, emotional trigger, mm-hmm. you have, like, it just, I felt like it was sitting right underneath my skin. Mm. So I'd be fine, fine, fine. And then somebody at a restaurant would mess up my food and I have such bad food allergies and I don't feel well and I'm nauseous all the time. And so food is a big thing for me. So then all of a sudden they'll put something on it I'm allergic to and it's like, I'm in tears. Yeah. You know, because everything is big. Everything is big. Luckily, with the with the good news, that seems to, <laughs> good news has a way of making you feel a little less that way. Yeah, yeah, it's still there, but it's not as much. Right, you might be able to withstand some something on your food that you didn't ask for. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> it's just food. <laughs> Where before it was like devastating. <laughs> You talked a little bit about the, the medical treatments you'd had, and um, you're doing chemotherapy right now. What about other kinds of more holistic treatments? I know that you uh, have uh, modified your diet, and I think that you've been using some cannabis as well. Would you be willing to talk about those things? Oh, yeah. Once I was diagnosed stage four, and I realized that this is a long-term problem that I have, and I wanted to live as long as possible I just I did a lot of research on food and chemicals and what's around us. And I'm not saying it's right for everybody, but it felt right for me. When I changed my diet and I got rid of a lot of the things that I don't tolerate or that I have small allergies to um, and did more of the elimination diet, my body felt better. My energy felt better. I realized I could tolerate the chemo better. Mm. Um, the first time around, it was a lot of bagels. It was a lot of, you know, just like mashed potatoes or baked potatoes. Any, I still do a ton of potatoes. Um, but it was a lot of bread and floury things, which were fine and they're great. But but it didn't make my body feel the best. Um, a lot of the fruits, vegetables, proteins, nuts. I believe my diet is helping me tolerate the chemo mm-hmm. better. And then just scientifically, if you're taking out things in your body that you have intolerances to, like, sure, a lot of us don't tolerate dairy very well, but we eat it so often that we don't really notice. It causes inflammation in your body. Mm -hmm. If there's inflammation in your body, your immune system is working hard to fix that. Right. I need my immune system to work hard on cancer. Yeah. I don't need it to work hard on fixing the soy that my body doesn't tolerate that was in that bread from that In-N-Out burger I really wanted. Do I really want the In-N-Out burger and a double-double? Yeah, big time. But I don't need my body to be working any harder than it needs to. So that was my, that's what felt right for me and it felt like my way of controlling it. Right. Um, it was it was my contributing factor. And a lot of the Reiki work and a lot of the just meditation, getting myself to, I, I try to do a lot of self-massage um, and meditation, especially at night before bed. Mm-hmm. As, as you well know, with a cancer diagnosis, the brain right. yeah. doesn't stop. 
on the holistic realm, I, I, I saw a Chinese medicine woman as well. But it, I, people always laugh at me when I say that because it is sort of like, I'm like, I'm going to see Chinese medicine woman. She's an herbalist. She has her LAC. She's also a nurse. Like, it's, I'm not She's just like, legit. yeah, I'm not like going to a back alley, like <laughs> getting some herbs from like some woman who's, you well, know. Well, especially crazy. in California, we yeah. have all of that stuff. So Exactly. So the, everybody in my East Coast people are all like, are you sure you, maybe you should see someone qualified. I'm like, she did. She went to school it's a thing somebody with a degree yeah I'm like she has several so it's fine <laughs> um so I definitely want to see an herbalist as well um and I see an osteopath as well and I have an integrative doctor a lot of the things with my hormone levels because of that adenoma they're like oh it's low but that's just a side effect western medicine is kind of like meh right and you're like so I just have to deal with this on top of everything else so my integrative doctors do a lot more with giving you herbs to help get those levels balanced. Kind of boost you up a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Where Western medicine is kind of like, if you're, they're more black and white. It's yeah. like you're in this range or you're not, or you're going to take a ton of pills or, or you're pill searching. I don't, there's, there's not a, there's not a huge gray area with Western medicine in my experience. Right. So the integrative medicine helps me fill in those gray areas. I know that some oncologists do, for example, mine sent me to a, a Chinese medicine doctor to do, get some herbs and to also do some acupuncture. I ended up not liking either of them, so I didn't do it. But I know that some of them do feel that that can be useful and uh, helpful. Yes. And I love oncologists like that. And it was one of the reasons I have the one that I have now is is because he's he's in for all that he doesn't uh, some of the oncologists are in for it but they're like oh yeah if you want to do it the hospital offers it sort of a program and they brush it off Mm -hmm. but when an oncologist like yours or like mine will listen to you and say like oh i actually believe in like mind body connection like it's great those are those are great people and then are you still doing cannabis oil? Yes, or? so the no. cannabis. So when I first was diagnosed stage four, then we decided to do cannabis oil. Luckily for me, personally, my my body tolerates the cannabis really well. Some people cannot get to that one gram a day. So with Rick Simpson oil, um, cannabis oil treatments, um, the suggested dosing is one gram a day. It's highly concentrated. When I first started it, the size of a pinhead would make me so high I couldn't really use words. I mean, I would just be like different planet. But your body builds a tolerance to it because you have a cannabinoidal system in mm-hmm. your body. You have those molecules there that match the cannabis plant molecules. So my body built up a tolerance very fast, um, and I moved to one gram a day within a month. Um, I started at a seven to one CBD to THC ratio and then made it down to a one to one CBD THC ratio. CBD is a portion of cannabis that does not make you high. It's the more relaxing, anti-stress, mm-hmm. anti-anxiety portion. The THC is your psychoactive portion. It is also the portion that can make you a bit paranoid. It can cause some muscle tightness around neck, around jaw. But you balance that with the CBD, and that's where you get your relaxation. There is a lot of anecdotal evidence about cannabis killing cancer, hmm. so why not? And how, how is your uh, is your oncologist? 
they're fine with it. Connected to it in any way or? They don't ask details. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if that's legality right. or not, but they're fine with it. And they will give me a cannabis card. I do have my medical card and they they ask a little bit, but they're not as interested. Yeah, I'm sure some will be and some are. I find with a lot of oncologists, they don't really care what you're doing outside of what's happening in the hospital and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're not really interested in being the detective. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in being the detective about my my body. Right. Um, they're not as interested. At the end of the day, the cannabis we know helps with side effects from chemotherapy and from okay. cancer. So they'll always they'll give you the medical card for that. So even at the end of the day, say it it hasn't done anything for me, which I don't believe I think it has. It's it's helped make me hungry so I can eat, which maintains energy and my weight, which has come off a ton. Right. It helps me sleep. Yeah. Um, all such important aspects of of healing. Of healing, wellness. Health. Yeah. So even if it's not actually killing cancer cells, it helps me sleep. It it helps those that adenoma on my pituitary gland. It really helps with the side effects from that. Mm-hmm. I ended up switching to a higher THC balance, and then I I did I do suppositories and I take it orally. So when you do suppositories, you actually don't experience a high from it. Mm-hmm. So people that can't get their tolerance up and that do not enjoy the feeling um, of being high can do the suppository route. I do both. My tolerance is at such a high point that I do not feel high during my day anymore. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about um, your life outside of or adjacent to the fact that you have cancer. Yeah, adjacent. (laughs) Will you talk a little bit about your songwriting and performing, what role they play in your life and keeping you going at this time? Music has always been just a number one thing in my life. Ever, I mean, since I can remember, I could talk, I would sing. Um, I was always performing. I was a dancer. I was a gymnast. My mom was an actress. So it's been somewhere that I always came to, came back to. Through this, um, it's been a place for me as, as my energy. You only have so much energy to contribute to things. And music has has been an outlet, and it's been where I want to focus that that energy. Obviously, writing is always going to be an outlet. Sometimes that it's a, it, sometimes that can be a scary outlet because when you start writing, things come out that you don't, yeah, that you kind of didn't really realize were on the forefront. So, are um, you talking about in your songwriting? In songwriting, songwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes something just comes out in songwriting, um, and you're like, oh that was there and then you're going to share that song with people so that can be uncomfortable because then people can see you Mm. but I want to share this experience that way and then on the opposite end it it can also go be a place that I go and I sing these songs and I'm on stage and I can feel normal and then I can not bring it up I mean I used to bring it up a lot and I'll go shows and full nights now and not bring up the fact that I have cancer and it's that has been a turn at these events for me because it, for so long it was just like, oh, I have cancer. Yeah. I have cancer. And then every show people would be like, oh, she's got cancer. Do um, you feel like you're, um, does it feel, what does it feel like? Does it feel like you're not being honest or that you're, you're able to be in disguise or, you know, what is that? So, sometimes a little bit of both. Sometimes a, um, a little bit of like, I'm not being honest. 
because there's a part of having this disease that feels can feel a little like, um, especially being young and having a long-term chronic illness where, I mean, you look at the statistics and they're not good. You feel a little bit like a scarlet letter. Mm -hmm. Um, so then when you don't bring it up, you feel, you can feel a little dishonest, Mm. but then on the other time, sometimes it gives me a place where I go and I can forget about it and I can be the singer songwriter who's performing. And, you know, most of the songs that we have performed or that we perform on a normal basis are songs that were recorded a few years ago. So they had nothing to do with my cancer. They were about breakups. They Mm. were about bad relationships. They were about finding myself who I am. They can feel a little old in one way because I wrote them when I was in my late twenties and and just turned thirty, and that's when I was recording them. But right. then, when the disaster was a breakup, yeah, exactly. When the disaster was a breakup, but they also can be a place that I can go to, and I can enjoy telling that story instead of I have other stories. Yeah, I remember you know? a point at which people would comment on my hair and I would always tell them oh this is my chemo cut and they'd look at me kind of surprised um you know if they didn't know me now people comment on my hair and I just say thanks and Mm -hmm. and it was a bit of a turn to um to go from having to reveal it to just letting that go yeah that and and the hair I mean the hair is such a big thing has been such a turnaround mine I don't know what it's doing or going to do um there's a real thin spot in the back from where they radiated um and you know more than half of it has fallen out from the chemo I'm on now but luckily I was always a woman with a whole lot of hair (laughs) I never had every time I got a haircut I'd be I have thick hair they're like it's not really that thick and I was like no I mean there's just just get into it and they'd like start cutting and they'd be like yeah okay you have a lot (laughs) so luckily you have some despair (laughs) even with half of it gone it's still holding on but that that, I mean that's a current fear of mine um is I'm okay with it because my cancer is 90% gone from Mm -hmm. this treatment but I've been able to hide when I want to and when you have a bald head you can't no it's harder to hide yeah And, and whether that's me having to say that's my need to explain it or whether it's society. I mean, society, it's both. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In addition to your songwriting and singing, you're a yoga teacher, as you mentioned, what role has that played in your cancer experience or just in your recovery or? The yoga teaching has, has given me a place to go and feel like I have a purpose being in the band, of course, like I have a, a purpose, but that's for me, it's my songs. It's, you know, there's, there can be a narcissistic quality about that. It's art and I love it. But the yoga is something that I go and I do, I go teach people and, and it makes me feel useful. It makes me feel impactful. It makes me feel, it gives me a space to go and, breathe and tell other people to breathe which reminds me to breathe mm. it's it, it's it actually been a little more important to me than i than i had originally anticipated or thought it would be my np nurse practitioner said the other day you're still teaching yoga you probably should not really do that anymore and i was like yo i had nine classes i am down to two like you're not going to take this from me my cancer is 90 percent gone like no because you want to feel useful 
you start feeling victimized at some point and that you are a sick person who is draining people's money because people have contributed greatly financially to me to allow me space that I don't have to go wait tables or go work all the time when I don't have the energy or physically just am unable to do it. Right. So that has helped make me feel purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm contributing, even if it's, even if I'm not making any money a class, if if it's $20 or $30 a class, whatever, because two people show up, oh, well, it's something that I am doing um, that makes me feel useful. Right, and you can have a real impact on somebody else's day and somebody else's movement through life. Yeah, yeah, I can I can hold a space for people to come and that's that's what maybe they were like, I keep thinking about that I want to go to a yoga class tonight. Mm-hmm. So if I can hold that space for people where they can come and maybe turn their day around, that's only positive for me. Yeah. I know that you have a very uh, close-knit family and friends. What are some of the most significant ways in which they're supporting you? They have been amazing. I I honestly, um, I'm I'm very lucky in, in that realm with my family and friends. The best thing that people have started to do for me through my frustration of, I've been very vocal about the fact, about feeling when I feel like they're kind of suffocating me, I'm like, you have to go away. Yeah. Um, for better, again, for better or for worse, I am a, I am also just always a person who, I don't hide things very easily. So through all of our arguments and all that, the, the best thing that I've come to with the close knit people around me is like, they come to do my dishes. They just like show up and do dishes and don't say anything. And that is like golden. Or they will like come take my dog on a walk for like three, four blocks to get some energy out of him if I'm really tired. Or just, I mean, honestly, most of the time, if people just show up and don't say that much and don't offer suggestions, but are just there if like, I don't feel good and I'm like, I need a nice water and I literally do not have the energy to get it, like they go get it for me. Right. It's been smaller things like that that are more, that feel more useful to me. Right. And that's just something that uh, somebody who wants to support uh, somebody else really has to learn, that it is those tiny little things, like offering a glass of water. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like bringing, making sure I constantly have ice water near me is like, like that is gold to me. Like that, I'm like, God, you love me because you know that like I get these mini hot flashes and this dry mouth and that it like really causes stress in me. And so you make sure I have an ice water next to me at all times. Like that is love. (laughs) (laughs) That right there. That's all I need. (laughs) So despite all of the support that you have, uh, you've written in your blog about how at the end of the day, you're alone facing your mortality. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that that's been um an interesting thing especially for me being I'm a hyper social individual with an extremely outgoing personality and I've been a performer my whole life. So I, I don't really have a wallflower problem. So when you're this hyper hyper social human being everybody's around you but you still kind of feel alone because they don't they can get it, they can empathize, they can sympathize, they can want to take it from you, they can literally want to reach inside your body and grab it, but they can't. 
And so it really is you at the end of the day going to sleep at night. Even if I had, I'm single, but even if I had a husband, it doesn't matter. It's your body that, that is, that you feel like has deceived you. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and you kind of want to, my cousin has been chronically ill her whole life. And she said it perfectly one day to me. She goes, yeah, sometimes you just want to unzip your skin Hmm. and step out of your body. Right. Cause it's not, it doesn't feel like the real you. Yeah. It feels like your body is deceiving you. Hmm. And you're kind of alone with that. And people will say, your disease isn't just about you, Jenny. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But I am the only one that feels the physical pain of it. I'm the only one throwing up. And then if I have three people at my house and I have to go throw up, then I feel like I'm putting on a show. And it's everybody's sort of, it's a spectator sport. Hmm. So then I'm a victim of a spectator sport. And so it just doesn't, it does, it's it's an isolating, polarizing experience, Um, especially since I've switched my whole diet and I don't drink as much as I used to. And a lot of my friends are at bars. You know, I worked in bars for forever and a lot of my friends own bars and work in bars Mm. um, and restaurants. I I can't keep up anymore, nor do I want to. My life has shifted. Um, I have a new focus, but you lose friends. And even the ones that stick around, they, 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 no one's ever going to know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You've recently been given unexpected amazing news, which we talked about, yet I know that the fear remains. And so how do you think about your future and your life goals? That's been really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that I had a future even a week ago. Um, well, I guess a week ago I got the news, but eight, eight days ago, let's say <laughs> eight or nine days ago when I woke up in the morning, um, I didn't know that I had a future. I didn't know that I would make it to my cousin's wedding in October. I kept telling my body I would. I kept making the plans. Um, I kept booking gigs. But then to, of course, I could get another PET scan and it it could all be there again. But I'm not going to plan for that. I'm going to plan for this one. And what am I going to do with this one? Because I've got three months right now to live with this as being my reality. Because I lived the past three months in fear and and the other part being my reality. And I'm really kind of over that. So I'm going to live a different reality this summer. I think it makes you plan a little more in the moment and do things now. I don't push things off. If I want to go to Kauai to see a healer um, because that feels like what I'm going to do, then if I've got room on my credit card, like I'm going (laughs) because that's not going to matter if I'm dead, but the experience will. Right. The hardest part for me with planning for the future now is because I'm single. So it's hard to, it's not that I don't want to get into a relationship with someone, but I feel like it can be a lot to ask of someone. Yeah. But I guess, uh, I suppose if someone wants to do it, they're going, they're going to want to do it whether I, whether I'm looking out for them or not. But it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot to want to come on to. Yeah. You know, you're planning for the near term, but things that might be a little bit more long term or committed or involve other people, um, give you a little bit of pause. Yeah. It's harder. It's harder. I mean, you don't want to start dating someone and like 
be like, oh, by the way, like, sorry you fell in love with me, but like shit hit the fan and I'm going to die now. You feel a little bit like you're tricking someone because I can't promise I'm in my 30s. So a lot of people around my age are, I mean, most of my girlfriends, all of my girlfriends back east have kids. Some are on their second So you're in a phase where people are getting married and having babies. I mean, I'm right in that phase. Yep. And I'm all over here, like, I'm just fighting my cancer, guys. Are you dating anyone? You're like, I mean, I've met a couple people. Most of them get too scared and run away. Whether that's my cancer or whether that's my personality, whether it's scary to them that I live in the moment and that I'm very truthful because all I have is right now. I don't know. It's also hard for me to want to involve a bunch of people when you feel like you might be leaving them. Yeah, yeah. So just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you just about how ideally you would like to be treated by people who know about your diagnosis. (laughs) God, I wish I knew exactly (laughs) that, you know, and struggling with uh, my my friends and family close to me and, and finding that balance of boundaries and help and me needing help and accepting it and all that, I, I think the biggest thing that we keep saying back and forth to each other is there's no guidebook. There's no guidebook for me as the patient, and there's no guidebook for the people around me. Um, so as far as how I want, it can change a lot. My boundaries, my lines can change from day to day. One day, I might want you to not talk about it, and I might want to be the strong, independent woman. And then the next day, maybe I don't feel good. And I feel like really just sort of sitting in that mm-hmm. and going to that place where like, if my, especially if my mom's there where I can revert back to when I was like 10 and I stayed home from school and I was sick and I was like, mom, get me this. Yeah. Um, so some days I want to be the victim and some days I certainly do not. Um, I would say now with this new news, I less want to be the victim. <laughs> I think I more want to feel strong at every turn. So I want to be treated that way because if I'm treated that way, then I'll, maybe I can live up to that way. Right. Um, And sometimes I feel like if I'm treated like a victim, I'll just put myself in that, in that place. I'll be like, okay, well they want to do everything for me. So I'll just let them. And then I don't feel useful. So it can be a little, knowing, knowing how I want to be treated is like, it's part of the mystery I'm figuring out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have a lot more time to figure it out. <laughs> Thank we you. can try to keep up with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, right? That's the human experience. If I'm not trying to figure something out, like, <laughs> I guess I'm not alive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There'll be time for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in and Thank chatting you. with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Jenny Pagliaro and Angela Petrilli of Roses and Cigarettes for the music we played in today's episode. Please subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via Twitter at RealCancerPod or email your feedback to RealCancerPodcast at gmail.com. 
If you know of someone who would be a terrific guest, I'd love to know about it. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Push the limits which we ride